Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads, shall we, and pray. Father, thanks for just the, the truth behind what we have remembered, what we have celebrated, what we have sung. The truth that um, you sent your son to do for us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves. We could not in any way span the gulf that separated us from, from you. Our sins were too great. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you took our sin upon yourself. You died in our place as our substitute. You took the punishment that was due us and you paid for those sins and perfectly uh, satisfied the Father's um, um, holy judgment against sin. And then raised again to new life on that third day and offering us a free gift of eternal life. Father, this is um, the gospel. This is the good news. And I pray that if there's anyone here... Um, <clears throat> today or listening online, I, I would ask, Lord, that um, you would open their heart to respond to this truth of the gospel. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. This is, this is an issue of all of, of eternity, and I would ask, Lord, that um, uh, you would um, just do that work of grace in someone's heart this morning. And as we prepare to open up the scriptures, Lord, um, I, I would also ask that you would uh, teach us and transform us, minister to us, Father. There are many needs. Who knows what has happened this week in each life that's represented here and the life of our church. I know there are hurting families. We've, we've had people lose loved ones lord um, in this congregation the last few weeks and it's very painful and and the loss is very great there are challenges living in this fallen world of whether it's relational challenges or financial challenges um, but this morning and right now lord we need to hear from you and we need uh, your encouragement and um continue our, our time of just communion with you. So, Lord, uh, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices and um, just renew our minds, I pray, in light of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't think there's anything more intriguing or um, mystifying than the human brain. Maybe that's because I was told growing up a few times I might not have had one. Uh, but uh, the, the, the research into the human brain in the last 10 years has just exploded. Um, there has been uh, millions of dollars inserted into medical science to research the human brain and uh, fascinating uh, discoveries. It's, uh, of course, the center of the most elaborate communication uh, system uh, ever designed. Uh, data from the, this research uh, tells us that there are um, 
they're saying something like 86 billion uh, brain cells, nerve cells are called neurons, uh, 86 billion of those things. And uh, then they're surrounded by, uh, some have estimated upwards to a, a thousand trillion smaller cells that uh, surround these neurons that help support those neurons. And so, uh, and, and, and apparently in 2018, they discovered a whole other series of cells in our brains, which are called rose hip neurons because they look like a rose hip with the petals dropped off. Rose hip neurons. And they're not even sure what those things do. Um, and there's just these fascinating discoveries uh, going on. Uh, the brain. It is, um, it is a remarkable creation uh, of God. Each of these 86 billion brain cells are able to connect with, they say, up to, upwards to 10,000 other neurons, brain cells, in this elaborate communication system. And uh, through uh, chemicals and electric impulses, they are able to communicate, they say, five to 50 times a second to up to upwards to 10,000 other cells. There's this firing that goes on. Uh, the connection that is made is called a synapse. And it's this, again, this chemical and electrical impulse over these connections, the, these synapses. And they estimate there's probably 100 trillion of these synapses that go on in our brains. These connections so that our cells communicate with one another in their brains, as well as all the cells of the human body. Uh, fascinating. Some have estimated that um, the average brain's uh, synaptic capabilities is equivalent to a computer with a, a trillion bit per second processor. And, um, and then the memory capability. Memory capacity, they say, could be upwards to a thousand terabytes in the human brain. Now, at, compare that to the Library of Congress, 19 million volumes in the Library of Congress, about 10 terabytes. And they say the human brain can have up to a thousand terabytes of, of memory. An amazing tool that's there under our skull. Why? Why such an amazing organ? Why be created this way? I want to suggest that God created us with that type of a capacity so that we would know Him better. He's given us a tool, an organ, a capacity to commune with Him. The complexity and mysteriousness of our brains, I think, tells us of the complexity and the mysteriousness of the God who created us for fellowship with Him, to know Him. I think it also gives evidence of the fact that God desires to be known. So He put within our skulls an organ with such capacity to at least, in a, in a very small way, begin to understand God. Now, last week we looked at a prayer that the apostle prayed for the church, the church at Ephesus. And it was this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. I don't cease, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that, and here was the content of that prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And if you were with us last week, we saw that that word knowledge is a word that means more than just the ability to gather facts and understand or perceive facts, uh, 
He's specifically praying for a knowledge that goes beyond just that, but an ability to uh, commune with God, to take those facts and enter into a deeper experience with God, more of an experiential knowledge. But Paul prays a second prayer in this letter to the Ephesians, and it's in chapter 3. The first prayer for knowledge, intimate relationship with God, but the second prayer though it focuses also on knowledge, has to do something beyond that, and that is power. He prays for power that we can live in these crazy days. Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. I'm reading here from the New American Standard Version, and it says this, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And let me just pause real quickly. If you've got a King James Version, verse 15 says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I like that. I think, that, I think that's more in tune with what the Apostle Paul was intending, as opposed to every family in heaven and earth. He's talking about the whole family, more of a unified whole and I say that simply because, and we won't take the time to go there, but the previous chapter in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul is talking about this nature of the church, and that is this diversity, Jews and Gentiles once alienated from each other, are now all brought together into one common household, family of God. And so now he prays, I bow my knees before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven, and you realize more of the church is in heaven today than it probably is here on earth. We're still here on earth. We're the church here on earth. But there's a whole bunch of them up in heaven. And someday we're going to be up there too. But from the, whom the whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Here's verse 16. Here's the prayer. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is another prayer for knowledge, but it's a prayer to be able to comprehend something very specific about God, and that is his incomprehensible love. One writer said it is possible to know every jot and tittle in the Bible and still lack the power to live out one iota of its truth. We can know a lot of facts. We can be Bible students and know a lot of stuff. And then when the sorrows like sea billows roll and roll up on us, or whatever the situation might be, all of a sudden we fall to pieces because we are not living in light of that knowledge. This is a prayer that we will comprehend and understand so it will make a difference in our life in a supernatural way. I mentioned last week the illustration of a car. I mean, you can know the your car, you, you can tear apart the engine and put it back together again in your sleep. But if you get in that car and say, all right, take me to the store, well, you're not going to go anywhere. You got to plug into the power source, the, 
the, the, the potential power source. Put the key and turn it on and then go. Well, Paul is praying that we as believers in Jesus Christ will understand that power source and connect with it so that our lives are going to be changed, so that we will live out as a member of the family of God in a fallen world. And that's what we've been talking about this summer. How to live as the family of God in a fallen world. How to live out our calling as a member of the household of God to a world that does not know him. But if we're not plugging into the power source, we're going to be no different than the world around us. And so this prayer of Paul's is a prayer that we will come to understand and and comprehend his love and the power that we have as a child of God. There are three requests in this prayer. Three requests. Here's the first one in verse 16. It's a prayer to be strengthened with power in the inner man that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now notice that begins first of all with this little phrase in uh, the first part of verse 16 that he would grant you and then it says according to his the riches of his glory that he would give you according to the riches of of his glory. Now, if I, had a, if I had $10 million and I came up to you after the service, don't get your hopes up, but, and I give, you 10, I give you a $10 bill, I would be giving you out of the abundance of my wealth. I'd be giving you out of my wealth. But if I came up to you and gave you a million dollars, I'd be giving you according to my wealth, commensurate with my wealth. And Paul is praying here that God would grant us according to the riches of his glory, that God will give us according to his wealth, to the abundance, to the, to, through his great generosity, that he would give us something. And what is that something? Strength, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in the inner man. That's his first request. Um, Power, that inner strength, is not something we're going to generate. That's why he's praying for it. It's not something we can conjure up ourselves. That we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. We're living in, again, crazy days, are we not? And man, some of the stuff I read, Christians are stressing. These are distressing days. Um... We can become very cynical. And on top of that, it's an election year. Talk about cynicism. And we can become discouraged. We can become defeated, unmotivated, frustrated. Um, These are difficult days in which we live. And you know what's needed? To be strengthened with power in the inner man, deep inside. Not some self-induced power. Not something that we clench our fists and grit our teeth and say, by George, I'm going to make it through this day. It's something that God gives us and we begin to experience it that goes deep down inside to the very fiber of our soul. Spiritual enablement that comes from God the Holy Spirit. It's a kind of power that doesn't, it, it, it's, not about, it's not about a power to cure a disease. It's a power that when your body is racked with the pain of a disease that you find uh, strength and you, and you find joy in the midst of what's happening to your broken body 
It's the kind of power that a, a single mom finds raising those kids and, and teaching those kids not to hate the, the, the non-existent father. It's the kind of power that causes persecuted Christians around the world when they're thrown into jail for their faith or, or worse yet, uh, beaten and, and, and even killed for their faith. In the midst of all that, they find inner joy, they find a, a peace, they find a, a resolve of, of total contentment in Him. It's a kind of power that when someone loses a spouse after 60 plus years of marriage, there's that inner strength to carry on, to put one foot ahead of the other the next day. It's the kind of power that keeps a Christian teenager from being seduced by the world's way of defining what fun is. It's the kind of power that keeps a person from, from, from being, being uh, drugged into the, the darkness of pornography. It's the kind of power that when you are passed over for that promotion, you, you, you walk away saying, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, no matter what comes, no matter what my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Where does that come from? Paul is telling us it's not anything that we can in and of ourselves conjure up. It's not some power drink that we take, some super spiritual you know, supplement that we pop. It's, it's, it's something that comes from his spirit. That's why Paul is praying for this. And it's a kind of power that when it's evident within us, Jesus Christ becomes more and more at home. He prays that we're going to be strengthened with power in the inner man, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now you say, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus already live in my life, in my heart? You know, the moment I trust Christ as my personal Savior, Jesus enters my life. That's true. But what he's saying here, what he's praying, is that the result of being strengthened with power in the inner man is that Christ, and here's the word that he uses, it's a word that means to be at home in, to settle down and to make one's abode, to be at home in one's life. Lisa and I were traveling a couple of weeks ago back home to Nebraska, and we, we were staying with family and friends, uh, these one, this one couple, friends of ours, for back in college. I mean, 40, over 45 years we've, we've been friends. And uh, we went to seminary together. We raised kids, you know, together, even though they were miles apart, but we'd get together. And, and they're just very good friends. And we showed up at their doorstep. Of course, we let them know we were coming. And, and uh, they welcomed us. And we felt perfectly at home. Uh, and they made us feel that way, very hospitable. But we weren't there in a few days. I mean, can you imagine the look on their face if we would have pulled up with a U-Haul? <laughs> Say, hey, you know, I think we don't, things aren't going so well in Virginia. And, uh, you know, it would have been a whole different story. That, that wasn't our home. It was their home. It would have been awkward. And it was nice once we got home to be able to walk into our home. And there's something peaceful about it. We were home. Um, when we're strengthened with power in the inner man, and we're being able to see life in a totally different perspective, 
Christ slowly, gradually maybe, but becomes more and more at home in our life. He makes his abode. He is the center, the governing force in our life. He becomes at home. He's not a stranger in our hearts. He's at home. Is Jesus comfortable in your heart, in your life, in all the, 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 the hidden closets of our heart, in all the recesses, rooms? Is he, is he at home there? Is there any room in your heart that you'd want to keep under lock and key? You don't want Jesus to be in that one. Paul's first request is that we would be strengthened with spiritual power in our innermost being where Christ becomes at home. Here's a second request. It's that we could comprehend the greatness of Christ's love for us. Look at verse 17 again. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. The second request is a request to be able to comprehend the greatness of Christ's love. Now, again, that request begins with a little phrase, a little participial phrase there in verse 17, the last part of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, a botanical and an architectural term, that you being rooted and grounded. Now, you might think that that's part of the request. That Paul is praying that we will be rooted and grounded in his love. No. It is written in a, in a form, in a verbal form that implies or that teaches us that it is something that has already occurred and it's got ongoing actions, ongoing results. So we could translate it and properly so, verse 17, and that you, having been rooted and grounded in love, he's talking about something that's already happened, that's already true of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We've all, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are already rooted and grounded in His love. We are immersed in it. We are deeply embedded in His love. We are surrounded by His love. God loves us with an everlasting love. That's true of us right now. No matter how our life is being lived, no matter if we've sense of having departed from fellowship with the Lord. He loves us with an everlasting love. He looks down upon us. We've been rooted and grounded in His love. Almighty God looks down at every one of us. He says, I love you. There's nothing you can do to change that. We've been rooted and grounded in His love. I remember talking with a person a number of years ago who everybody would agree, had made a lot of mess-ups in his life, was not, uh, did not have a stellar Christian record. And as if perched on his shoulder in a constant way was a little voice that kept saying, you are unworthy. You are, uh, you are a miserable excuse for a Christian. There was this constant shaming, constant condemnation. Well, it probably came from, who knows, parents, teachers, I don't know, church pastors, church leaders. You're doing what? Shame on you. 
Now, this is not excusing sin by any means, but let me tell you something. That guy was loved by God with an everlasting love, and God's love for him was unchanged, undimmed. And it was finally when he came reading the Scriptures and studying the Scriptures where it was like God opened his eyes to this reality. I have been rooted and grounded in love. And I have a heavenly Father who looks upon me in all my mess-ups and says, I love you and there's nothing you're going to do about it because you are eternally loved. And when he came to that understanding, that was life-changing. All of a sudden, it was like the floodgates of his love all of a sudden opened up to pursue God with a vengeance. This is what Paul is praying, that we'll be able to comprehend, verse 18, with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, as the NIV says, how wide, how long, how high, how deep, how unfathomable is the love of God for you, for me. This is what he's praying, that we'll be able to comprehend it, we'll be able to wrap our minds that we'll get some neurons to synapse around this concept that God loves me with an everlasting, eternal love. To comprehend it. Folks, let me tell you something. This is not comprehended in a 35-minute sermon. I'm just delivering some goods. You know, just, I'm just delivering it. It's what the Scripture says. It's when we go home and begin to wrestle with this, and meditate on it and come before God and pray this prayer for ourselves. It becomes reality in our life. This is a significant prayer that Paul is praying. To be understanding how grounded we are, how, how deeply loved we are in an experiential way. Someone said, God's love is like the Amazon River flowing down to water one lonely little daisy. And that one lonely daisy is you. And it's the Amazon river of his love. He loves us. There's a third request that Paul has in this passage, and that is to be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's kind of the climax. It's, this, it's like these prayers crescendo in, in, in greatness. And the third prayer, our request, is there in verse 19 again. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, and that, here it is, you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. When we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit in the inner man, and when Christ is increasingly the center of our life, and He's at home in every crevice and corner of our life, and we are beginning to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, when we stand in awe of how much we are loved by God, you know what begins to happen? The fullness of God begins to ooze out of us. We, we are filled up to all the fullness of God. In other words, you know what that means? We become more like Jesus. We become Christ-like. It's transformational power. We become different people, filled up to the fullness of God, Christ-likeness. That means that, that peace that we experience is like, where did that come from in the midst of, of something bad that, that's happening? That peace, where did it come from? It's Jesus. It's the fullness of God. It's oozing out of you. Where did that joy come from? Man, nobody in their right mind in the circumstance I'm going through would have joy. Where's that coming from? It's Jesus oozing out of you. It's the fullness of Him. That patience, that patience with those kids or with that coworker or that spouse, where in the world 
I'm not a patient person. Of course you're not. Jesus is, and it's the Jesus in you that you're filled up to the fullness of God. Because you're comprehending, you're beginning to grasp how deeply loved you are. Christ is becoming more settled and in home, and, and, and you're finding strength and power in the inner man. And that fullness of Christ is being lived out in the experience of our life. It's what we have been redeemed for. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves finally getting to that point where, you know, I think this is what I've been created for. I, I think this is what I've been redeemed for intimate relationship and communion with God where it's life-changing and all of a sudden all of life looks differently man is this possible I mean is this really capable of happening in our life well I'm glad Paul didn't stop with verse 19 look at verse 20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. What? Oh yeah, let's look at this. It says, now to him who is able to do. You know, God is not up there in heaven twiddling his thumbs, waiting for this age to end. God is actively involved. He is able to do. He is able to do what we ask. He knows our thoughts. He understands us. He listens. This is a prayer that is to be prayed, and he'll answer that prayer because he not only knows what we ask, he knows what we're thinking. He is able to do what we ask, what we think, what we can imagine. He's able, it says, to do all that we ask or think. It's all laid out on the table, and he can perform it. But it goes on, it says that he is able to do beyond all we ask or think. Okay, I'm happy to leave it right there. He's able to go beyond all that I could ever ask or think. I mean, I got a great brain, 86,000 neurons, synapsing all the way, right? God is able to go beyond what I could ask or think. But he doesn't stop there. He is able to do abundantly more than all I could ask or think. And he doesn't stop there. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I could ask or think. How? According to the power, his power, his might that works within us. Paul is just simply saying, you want to pray this prayer? Then watch out because God is able to make it happen. And he can make it happen in spades. I mean, watch out because these requests can get answered in our life. All for what end? Verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what I think Paul is in? I kind of think Paul is actually singing this. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all I can ask or think. I, I, I'm wondering if he's not just singing this doxology. It's like he's caught up in, in rapture just like he was at the beginning of the epistle in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I think Paul begins to almost singing that as he starts this epistle. And now with this prayer in chapter 3 as it concludes, he's singing the doxology of praise because it's all about God's glory. Why is God going to answer this prayer in our life? Because he wants the glory. And when we find ourselves at the end of our rope, 
in a world that's totally messed up, going to hell in a handbasket, in a crazy election year, and, and the pain and the sorrow of, of lost loved ones and, and rebellious kids and, and the pains and hurt of, of, of jobs that might not even be there in the midst of it all as we are finally finding that we're kind of like living on the last nerve of our life. God will show up as we pray this prayer. He is able to do it because he's going to get all the glory. He is able to do it because he loves us with an everlasting love, an eternal love. Niccolo Paganini was the rock star of Europe about 200 years ago. I mean, this guy was phenomenal. And literally, he was the modern-day equivalent to a rock star. He would pack out the, um, the venues throughout Europe. Um, he was the phenom of the day. The story is told that one time he was performing in Paris, France. And he came onto stage, Niccolo Paganini, the great maestro. And he began to play his incredible violin. The, the crowds were hushed. They sat in, in rapture and wonder as he began to play. And shortly into his performance, bing, a string broke. Undaunted, Paganini played on. And then a few minutes later, bing, a second string broke. And you could hear the murmuring of the crowd a little bit. A few minutes later, bing, a third string broke. And now the crowd is murmuring and concerned. You could hear the rumbling in the audience. And Paganini stopped playing. And he paused for a moment, a poignant pause. And then he said, ladies and gentlemen, Paganini and one string. And this Italian violinist phenom played the rest of the concert on one string, not only to the delight of the crowd, but to the utter amazement they had never heard a concert like that. Paganini and one string. The great maestro had performed a masterpiece. And we may find ourselves at times in life, and maybe even right now, where all of a sudden, bing, a string breaks. And this week, all of a sudden, some pain hits or some trouble or some news, you get, bing, there goes another string. And the kids are about to start school, and who knows what's going to happen and what the plans are going to, bing, there goes another string. And you're left broken, you're left in pain, you're left wondering, what in the world, where do we go now? And that's when the maestro steps up and he says, let me take it. God and one string in the brokenness of our life, a broken marriage, a rebellious child, the loss of a loved one, whatever it might be, God making a masterpiece of one string of our life. And that's when we begin to realize, my goodness, am I that loved by God? God can do that in my inner man? I can experience this, all of this, and Jesus too. He's the masterpiece. He writes it in our life. This is a powerful prayer. 
And I think if the Apostle Paul were here this morning, he'd encourage us to pray it and pray it often. Would you bow your head, please? Because in this final few moments this morning, we need to do that, I think. I think we need to come before God and, and, and say, all right, Lord, speak to me. Um, I, I need to hear from you. Lord God, I pray that the, the truth of this prayer would be driven home into our hearts, that it's just not words on a page, but that there's something transformational, life-changing of, of an encounter with you, the living God, who loves me completely, infinitely, unconditionally, and that'll never change. I need to know this, Lord. I, I, I'm not going to come to this on my own. I need to be strengthened with power in your, by your spirit in my inner man today. I need to know more and comprehend how much you love me. Um, I want you to get all the praise and glory. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want your fullness, Father, to just ooze out of me. In the days of darkness that we find ourselves in, oh God, may your light shine through me. Speak to me. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's join our voices together. appropriate 
We're going to sing that third verse in just a moment. We've been singing this, and this is a prayer. Speak to me, O Lord. Would you bow your head, and let's just ask him to do that to us. Bow your head right now, and in the quietness, go to him. Lord, speak to me. Help me to see the greatness of your love. Help me to comprehend it better. Teach me, Lord, what full obedience looks like. Test my thoughts, my attitudes. Cause my faith to rise. Cause my eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Just quietly, come before that throne of grace. Talk to him. Make this real. hear our cry, hear our prayer. The problem is never your lack of communicating to us. It always seems to be on the receiving end on our part. Um, Lord, just as we leave here, do that continued work of grace of, of you revealing yourself to us in a fuller, grander way. Speak to us, Lord. Stand in prayer, Speak, oh Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And my grace will stand on your promises, and my faith will walk as you walk with us. Speak, oh Lord, till your church is built, and the Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be your holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. Let the righteousness of God 